Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing uh, our journey through the Gospels. We kind of left off on a cliffhanger last time where um, Zechariah got his oracle from the angel Gabriel that he was going to conceive a son and found out that that sign was him being mute. And then Elizabeth conceived and uh, concealed it for five months and uh, exclaimed that her disgrace was being taken away any other review that you want to point out before we just jump straight back into the text? No, I think uh, we just need to connect people with the previous episode. That ought to do it. All right. Where we start? All right. We were in Luke chapter 1, and we had just completed verse 25. We're ready to go on verse 26. You ready? Let's do it. All right. In the sixth month, okay, in the sixth month of what? Elizabeth's pregnancy, Uh, right? So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, so we already know Gabriel, right? Yeah, he he showed up in the last episode. He seemed pretty fierce and scary. Yeah, he was the one in the temple. So Gabriel appears again. As we mentioned, it's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, but this time... He's not in Jerusalem at the temple. Now he's in Nazareth. And this is a, it's a little town, uh, maybe like, uh, we'd probably think of it more like an agricultural village. Uh, Probably mostly poor families, but interestingly, very consistently, these families are all from the line of David. Okay, it's up there. Uh, we well, people probably have heard of the Sea of Galilee, so it's up near the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where he is, and then he says he's uh, God. Uh, Gabriel was sent, verse twenty-seven, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So couple of things. You know, we will forever know her as Mary, and I'm not trying to change that, but just just to point this out, her name was actually Miriam. Hmm. Like, you remember Moses' sister? Yeah. She Miriam? Was a, okay. She had a... That's was, what... Was a big deal in that st- story in Exodus, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's this young girl's name. And for whatever reason, it got converted in English to Mary, and that's how we know her. I just, I don't know, kind of bothers me. Seems Mm -hmm. like Miriam is a fine name, but whatever. Just so you know, this is Mary. And what's what's kind of cool is that Luke verifies that she is a virgin. Twice. He wants to make it really clear. And I think that that what we can take from this, what, what the writer here wants us to see is a connection back with Isaiah 7, 14. Samuel, could you uh, find and read that for us? Sure. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. So, quick and easy question. Who is this verse from Isaiah about? Seems like it's about Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> Except that it's a few hundred years before Messiah. And so, is this just prophetic stuff? Or, I mean, what exactly is going on here? These are the questions that we should have. It's important that we notice that this little section of Isaiah, it's being spoken to King Ahaz. Okay, God has come to Ahaz and said, hey, you know what? You can pick anything you want as a sign, anything at all. And Ahaz, though he's trying to sound, you know, hyper-spiritual or whatever, he's really just being a butthead, and he's like, oh, I will not. I will not ask my God for a sign. And so God's like, you know what? Well, then I'll give you one. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here's the interesting thing. We definitely can look to this verse and go, well, this is a foreshadow of Messiah, right? But for Ahaz, this was not. This was something actual, something real in his time and in his place. And so for him, he had a young wife named Abi. And ultimately, she has a baby boy. Ahaz calls him Hezekiah. But what's interesting is the stories, the the traditional stories that go on about Ahaz and Hezekiah, his mom called him Emmanuel, Hmm. you know, kind of like a pet name or something like that, right? And what does Emmanuel mean, Samuel? Doesn't it mean God with us? Yes. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, one other final point the virgin that's mentioned here in Isaiah 7:14, okay, that word isn't isn't exclusively used to mean virgin. It could just mean a young woman who's capable of bearing children, it could mean a young wife, could mean virgin, whatever. So, when it gets used in the New Testament, it's pulled forward and and it's used explicitly of the virgin, Mary in this case, right? And that's that's what you see even in this story right here that we're going through. Uh, it's just, it's interesting. So you have a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and her name is Mary. And, and this takes us back to Isaiah 7.14, just, just sort of filling out the picture. Now, I also want to mention something about this betrothal. Uh, you know, today, what do you do? You're going to get married, so you get... You get engaged. Yes, you're engaged. And then you get married, at least probably, right? I mean, some people break off their engagements, Mm -hmm. do they not? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Well, betrothal, it's kind of sort of like being engaged, except I think it's, it's a little more intentional, a little more permanent, maybe we could say. When you're betrothed, to break that off would be highly unusual, and it's the closest thing to being married without being married, uh, and it was held in, in great regard, high esteem, okay? So it's, it's a big, big deal. Bigger, I, I would say it's a bigger deal than being engaged today. And it would last about a year. So the man... Uh, is Joseph that she's betrothed to, and and tradition has it that he is some sort of a craftsman, okay? Now, what have you mostly heard, Samuel? He was a carpenter. Yeah, he was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter because he got it from his dad, that kind of thing. You know what? Could be true. But we do know that he is some sort of a craftsman, and in that time and in that place, it most commonly would have been wood or possibly stone, but let me ask you, Samuel, what do you think that this guy was making out of wood? Let's assume he's, he works with wood. What do you think he's making? Oh, man. Um, potentially boats or things that help build houses. I don't know. Those just a couple things that come to mind. Yeah. Do you think he was building, you know, tables and chairs and china cabinets and all that kind of stuff? I mean, maybe tables. I feel like they're living in a culture where those fancier addendums maybe aren't quite necessary. Right. Yeah. We get a really bad picture in our head. What he was probably making was yoke for oxen and agricultural tools, right? He may have done some of the other things we talked about. Yeah, a table might have been in there. And I don't know. Maybe it depends on the kind of housing. He could have done things that were useful in that. But he wasn't some, you know, master craftsman making fine furniture or something. No, he was making practical, useful stuff. And he was good at it, presumably. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a craftsman, right? So I just kind of wanted to make sure we had the right picture on that. And then also, we're going to see this later, but, but I just want to point this out because it, it mentions that she's, that Joseph is of the house of David. Okay, and we're going to find out that Mary is as well. So Mary's heritage is from both priests and kings, right? We just got done reading about Elizabeth and Zechariah. What are they? They're of the priestly class, right? They're of Levites, of Aaron. 
and they're her cousins, we will see. And she is specifically of the house of David, and that's kings. So priests and kings. So in that verse 27, when it says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, is that preposition of referring to Mary and not Joseph, or is it to both? No, I think it's just Joseph. Okay. But we'll we'll see. Um, and now at this moment, I'm wondering, Emma, is it coming up in our text or is it something, you know, we know from elsewhere? But we'll see. Mary is from the house of David as well. Okay. So uh, the virgin is betrothed. It's Joseph. And we get to verse 28 and this angel is here, right? And what does he say? He came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And now, it depends on what version you're reading. Some versions also include, blessed are you among women, and others leave it out. The reason they leave it out is because we have found more and more and more earlier copies of the original text, and fewer and fewer of those have that included. So it appears to be something that got added later, and so they've started leaving it out, trying to be more precise. So it's probably a good thing if it's not in your text, but it doesn't hurt anything. But having said that, you know, you just read that. He came to her and said, greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. I mean, we, we actually know very, very little about the scene. I mean, is she outside? Is she, I, I don't know, working with animals, working in a field? Is she inside? Is she at her father's house? Is, is she in a specific place? I mean, did she have her own room in that house? Or was it all just one big room? Was she awake? Was she sleeping? We don't know anything. But the one thing that we can gather, the way that that phrase, he came to her, uh, in the underlying Greek, it would seem to suggest that Gabriel was entering in to a place. And so at least the idea of her being you know, in the house or something like that does seem very reasonable and appropriate. But, he says to her that she is the favored one. Greetings, O favored one. And it would probably be better if we could read that as greetings, O woman of favor. And, and why I'm caring about that is because that word favor, if we were to connect that Greek back to its likely equivalent in the Hebrew, we're going to see that that's the word grace. She's greetings, O graced one, or woman of grace. And you could probably guess, what, what have you heard the Catholics say a lot? Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and this is at least one place where, where they would get that. But you could also imagine, just think about that sentence. Greetings, O woman of grace, the Lord is with you. And she probably started having some questions because, I mean, is she full of grace like that's her relationship to others? Or is she full of grace because God is, is gracing her? And, and, you know, what does the Lord with you mean? And in fact, if we go on to verse 29, it tells us, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And again, is she the one that's full of favor and grace, like, like toward others? Or is she the one being favored and graced by God? What does it even mean when he says, the Lord is with me? And, and wait for a second, we might even go back what was Isaiah 17 again? He shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And what did Emmanuel mean? God with us. Yeah. And the angel just said, the Lord is with you. Hmm. And even what does it mean to say that she is blessed among women, if we're going to include that line, mm -hmm. right? I mean, up to this moment, her life had probably been quite ordinary. I mean, what was going on in her world that would make her blessed among women right up to this moment? Well, probably nothing. 
But then the angel comes on, verse 30, the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now I ask you, Samuel, the angel says, do not be afraid. Was Mary afraid? The text doesn't explicitly say that she was. Right. It never says that at all. It just says she's greatly troubled at the saying. Well, to be greatly troubled is just to be, you know, confused, perplexed. But Gabriel tells her not to be afraid. And so, interestingly, there may be more happening than we're seeing in the text, and it may be that Gabriel can actually discern more about her than we know that he can or can't. Or it could just be, this is just a standard angel greeting. Don't be afraid, because they know they're scary. I mean, we don't know. But he seems to be assuming that she's afraid. But then he at least answers one of her questions, if she really had these questions. We were kind of just guessing. But he answers, and he says, you have found favor with God. So when, when they say that she's full of grace, she is the one that has been favored and graced by God. I'd just like to point out as well, um, if if we're thinking about Zechariah and Gabriel as Gabriel's last interaction with a human being in verse 12 of this chapter, it the text also doesn't say that Zechariah was afraid. Verse 12 says, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Well, the second half says, and fear fell upon him, but he answered in the same way that he responded to Elizabeth. Uh, to Ze- Zechariah and Mary in verse 13 when he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. I just wanted to point that out, that he seems like he's responding consistently, at least in the initial greeting. Yeah, yeah. But back in verse 12, he really is afraid. Yeah. Now, they make a point of it, but with Mary, they don't. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting. It's just interesting. So we get down to verses 31 And in fact, we're going to read 31 through 33, because this is, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's go ahead and read that. Verse 31. And behold, this is still Gabriel talking. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Oh, my gosh. What? Yeah. So, okay, uh, let's, uh, there's so much to say here. Number one, verses 31 to 33. Remember, I think we've mentioned already that there are seven oracles that are uh, picked out in in Luke chapters one and two, okay? Scholars say that there are seven oracles. Well, this is number two. It's spoken by the angel Gabriel, and it's announcing the birth of Jesus. And very similar to the first oracle that we talked about, if you were, you know, uh, very fluent in Greek and, and you had the mind for this sort of thing, you would actually recognize that this too is poetry. Now, the thing is, and, and, and this is the part where you go, well, man, is this really just trying to relay exactly what the angel said? Or is somebody trying to put this together on purpose so that it has more power and more meaning? And, and the reason I ask this question is because these three verses allude back to so many scriptures. And I'm, we're not going to go into them because we'd be here forever. I'm just going to list off, uh, you could go to Genesis 16 and find connections. 2 Samuel 7 and find connections. Psalm 2 and find connections. 1 Kings 2 and find connections. Psalm 132, connections. Isaiah 9, connections. There's so much. And I mean, you could imagine, no, God inspired the angel to speak in this manner because he was making all those connections. Or you could imagine someone who's trying to relate the story doing it on purpose because they're trying to draw all of these connections for the reader to help them out. But anyway, we'll include stuff like that in the show notes. 
Uh, and then and another interesting thing, if, if you look at the text of this, Gabriel's, on one hand, he's speaking as if this is a thing that is yet to happen. And at the same time, he's also speaking of it as if it's, it's, it's a done thing. Like, like, uh, like, take the easiest point. Uh, you could say, well, he's talking about she's going to conceive and bear a son. And at the same time, he's almost talking as if she's already conceived, right? We, we, it doesn't say that explicitly, but Gabriel has a weird relationship with tense in this little section. So here you got this poor teenage girl from Nazareth. It doesn't matter what you think about patriarchy and who knows what and who's going to the synagogue and who's learning this and who's learning that. She is in Nazareth. They are from the line of David. Everything about their their existence, their identity as a group is wrapped around the fact that they are from the line of David and that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. So this girl she couldn't misunderstand what this angel is saying to her if she tried. It can only mean one thing. He's talking about the Messiah. This is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So uh, let's go back just so we can see something that Mary may have been familiar with. Uh, Samuel, if you could get Second uh, Samuel 7 verses 12 and 13, and read this. This is that covenant with David. Okay. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yeah. So within that, we can see the similarities. The fact that he is, well, in, in, uh, in Luke, he's very specifically being called the Son of God. It's alluded to in Second Samuel. But we see that there's a, a Davidic king who is, in fact, given possession of the throne by God. He's going to reign as king over Israel forever. And, you know, just to put an exclamation point on it, his kingdom will never end. So you got this this little girl <laughs> in Nazareth out of nowhere Gabriel shows up and drops this bombshell on her. And so how does she respond? Hmm. Let's go to verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, "How will this be since I am a virgin?" Now that sounds like something we've heard before. Yeah. Yeah, where did we hear that before? Uh, Zechariah, how can this be since I am an old man and my wife is barren? <laughs> yeah, and what happened to him? Oh man, he's basically got his tongue chopped off. Yeah, he's running around deaf and mute, right? So what's going to happen to Mary? So so Zechariah shows some doubt. He can't speak or hear. But, but notice, it's an interesting thing. The writer is taking a sideways route of actually giving us yet another confirmation that Mary is a virgin, right? He tells us that a couple times before, and now he has Mary say it just to really drive home the point. But now just step back for a second. Think about this. We, I mean, we have in our heads the way this story works, but stop, pretend that you don't know what you know, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Well, she's a young girl. She's able to have kids. She's betrothed. I mean, surely she had some hope and expectation that she was going to have kids. So why is she asking this question? Unless in something in their conversation, something she understood the angel to mean that it was going to happen now, not through the natural course of things, if you know what I'm saying, right? She was hearing the angel say, you're going to be pregnant 
not from your husband. You're not going to bear a child as a normal mother and father will. You're going to bear one now, before any of that has happened. And again, it's possible that Isaiah 7.14, it's running through her brain. Being of the line of David, being in Nazareth, that's probably something she was intimately familiar with. But she wants to know, how is this going to happen? And again, we're still, there's like a tense moment. If we had the background music, it would be, you know, the violins. (laughs) Zing, yeah. So verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Well, so far, so good. She's not deaf and mute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But if I could, I just, I want to go back, and I hate that I even have to talk about this, but people bring things into these scriptures that I think is just goofy and weird, and I just want to say, however it is you read verse 35, okay, there's nothing sexually weird going on here. This is no different than the same language that's used in like Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit is to come upon the apostles. All we're talking about here is the outpouring of the favor, the grace, right? The overshadowing power of God, it should stir up images of the temple when his presence was in there. You and I talked about that already. Mary was going to experience the presence of God. This son of God, it's going to be the result of a divine miracle, not the result of some procreation. Okay? So, this is yet another way that we're alluding back to that passage in 2 Samuel seven fourteen. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, or Psalm 2, 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. All of this, it, it, he's, he's actually answering her question. She's not in trouble yet. And then we get down to verse 36, and behold, the angel is still speaking, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So not only does Mary not get in trouble, she gets a sign. Elizabeth's pregnant. Hmm. And I don't know about you, but I have to take a moment just to go, poor Zechariah. (laughs) He didn't deserve that. Yeah, he really got scolded. Yeah, yeah. But there's got to be something to this. And we don't know what it is. And I I think maybe as we continue, we might get some insight into it. But Mary gets her sign, okay? And Gabriel even throws in a phrase that for someone who's familiar with their scriptures is a pretty good allusion back to when God was speaking to Sarah when she got pregnant. She said, Samuel, I'm just curious. Do you remember when... Sarah was surprised at her pregnancy, what the angel said to her. Oh man, I'm to rack my brain. I well, that story overwhelmingly, I just think of how she laughed and then uh, told God that she didn't laugh, and God said, "Yeah, you did." But I'm I can't remember the in between of all that. Um, Yeah, the the question is asked: Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And doesn't that sound an awful yeah. lot like verse thirty-seven? It for nothing is impossible. Here in Luke, I was like, I've I have read that somewhere else. So I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure with you know first century Jews who know their you know Tanakh Hebrew text better than Western people like me do, it would have just been an instantaneous transportation to Genesis. Yeah. So so Gabriel throws that in, and and here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're having a baby. Even though they are old, and and specifically Elizabeth has been barren, and I mean honestly, that's a lot like other stories in the Old Testament, right? They're not the only ones. But Mary, I mean, we don't know, 
but we have no reason to assume otherwise. She's probably young and fertile. So then here you are, you, you've just been told the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that's pretty miraculous in and of itself. So what kind of a miracle are you going to have that's going to trump the normal, you know, barren woman conceiving a child kind of a miracle that's been happening in the scriptures multiple times all the way up through now? Any guesses, Samuel? I mean, it seems like the inverse or the opposite. You know, what's the opposite of doing something within the context of barrenness? It's like doing something miraculous within the context of fertility. So making someone pregnant without um, doing the normal functions in fertility. Right, yeah. So in all of the previous stories, it was definitely miraculous, but it involved a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. In this case, it's miraculous, but we don't even need the husband at this point. It's the virgin birth. So having the story of both of these women intertwined, I think Luke is purposely, or you know, whoever the writer was, if it was an inclusion, he's purposely highlighting the special nature of Mary's pregnancy among all of God's dealings with mankind. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I wonder if there's uh, if Jewish readers or even Miriam herself would have thought about the creation story in Genesis with the text saying that the Spirit will overshadow her and be with her, like you know the Spirit hovering over, overshadowing the chaotic waters, and how you said earlier that you know it's this is a miraculous creation. It's not something that happened, you know biologically or whatever in the same way you know all of creation itself is miraculous in that there was nothing or there was only chaos and god by his grace and by his favor turned that into life and abundance great picture (laughs) good job yeah that's an awesome way to look at it and the, the one of the reasons that it's so good is because just that simple idea of hey when you're reading something in your Gospels, and your New Testament, whatever, it's always a good idea to go back and look for where have we seen things like this before, because it's going to rich, I'm sorry, it's going to enrich and inform everything that you're reading. And it's important that we do that all the time. So great image, Samuel. I love that one. And I, I might have to add that to my notes and bring it later. Yeah, <laughs> I hope the uh, the listeners won't, because um, I know that you've brought up in this episode and episodes past where, like, you know, did the angel actually reference all of those Old Testament passages, or is the author, you know, including those himself for, you know, emphasis and poignancy? I, I hope that people aren't getting as up in arms about that as realizing the discovery oh all the stuff in the new testament like a lot of it is referencing stuff in the you know the torah and the writings and the prophets like i hope that that's a revelation in it in and of itself now because i mean it is to me to think all of that stuff in you know one sentence that gabriel just said came from all of those references like that's that's crazy yeah yeah And you know what? You bring that up as a really good point because, well, here's the way that I say it, and it it sounds like I'm being mean, but I'm not. It's like people read their Bibles backwards. They read the New Testament, and then they take whatever it is they've read, they think that they understand it, and then they go back, and if they ever read the Old Testament, they try to, to read it through the lens of the New Testament. And it's exactly backwards. When you are reading your Bible, you need to start at the beginning. You need to have an understanding of the beginning, especially the first five books, but all of that. And then when you get to the New Testament, you at least have a hope of some understanding of what's going on. That is the forward way of doing it, Mm -hmm. the forward way of reading your Bible. And it's so important. It's just so important. We hope we're giving some people some new skills to practice. Ah, oh, well, we can only hope. Yeah. Of course, we could use them ourselves. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, 
So we go through all this. We found all of this interesting things, you know, between uh, uh, the angel and and Mary, and we finally get to the end of it, and it's it's uh, kind of an abrupt end. We get to verse thirty eight, and it says this: "And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her. So Mary. She unreservedly surrenders to God's plan and her role in it. And, you know, because Mary's of the line of David, I know I keep repeating that, but it's important. She may even have been alluding back to Ruth when she was speaking to Boaz. I don't know if our listeners are very familiar with that story or not, but she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. So here's Ruth submitting herself to the redemption that is available in Boaz. And here is Mary submitting to the redemption that is available through God, right? So so you can see that there's a, a parallel there. Could be true, could be not. And, you know, who knows if she meant it. But there's also a second connection between Mary and Ruth, and this is one that most people would never know. You won't find this in your Bible. But again, there are lots of writings outside the Bible that that help us just to know more about the thinking and the culture and sometimes even to understand what is in our Bible better. And so in those stories, traditionally, Ruth is said to be barren. So even Ruth giving birth was a miracle. Man. And we usually don't know about that, but that's kind of a yeah. kind of a cool thing. Could we also throw in a third connection in that correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the Messiah Jesus it one of his ancestors Ruth? It isn't she mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew? Oh yes. Yes. Well, I guess if you trust Matthew. Yeah. That'll be in an upcoming episode, and that one's going to be interesting. We'll talk about that. But yeah, yeah, she is in uh, the direct lineage of of Jesus himself, Mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Yeah. Kind of neat. So so now we've had this this big story about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and now we have a, uh, not really a competing story, more like a a sister story of, of Mary. And so Mary now knows that Elizabeth is pregnant. So she wants to go see her. Let's see how that turns out. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So here you got Mary. She's now armed with this information from Gabriel, right? It's, it's the sign for her. And she's heading straight for Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. Uh, I mean, we don't really know, but it reads like, you know, pretty immediately. She takes off. Probably took her a few days to get there. And then she walks in and she greets Elizabeth. And Samuel, do you have a guess? I mean, we weren't there, but if we had to write a movie and give, give, uh, give her lines, how would she have greeted Elizabeth? I mean, in the same way that Hawaiians always greet and say goodbye with aloha jewish people tend to say shalom (laughs) exactly i mean we again we weren't there but that's probably she i don't know if they knocked in that i don't know how anything worked back there right but she walks in she probably says shalom and it doesn't matter what she says but whatever we're just putting meat on the bone you think that this like if this really is mary's first news of hearing that of this miraculous thing with her cousin Elizabeth being pregnant. Um, you think it maybe it's because of the distance of where they lived and their uh, infrequency of seeing one another. I'm just, it's surprising to hear that Mary didn't already hear about that as miraculous as that sounds. Yes. But what was the very end of our last episode? Oh, what was yeah. Elizabeth doing? Man, here I am forgetting it. She concealed it. So that's why. Yeah. And boy, 
she concealed it well. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Fooling me right now. <laughs> <laughs> she concealed it so well, you forgot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome, right? So, uh, yeah, here's Mary. She just got this news. She takes off to find out if it's true. And then she walks in and, uh, okay, says something like, Shalom. In verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped within her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, okay, <laughs> this is awesome. We need better movies of this stuff. So Mary, he sees old Elizabeth sitting there, six months pregnant. And you got to imagine at this moment, her thoughts, she's probably got a lot going on in her head, things going crazy. She herself is pregnant with the long-awaited Messiah. So, so at the same moment, she's not the only one who knows that this is true. Because, dear, sweet, fetal John the Baptist, well, he knew it too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you get that reference, Samuel? It sounds like Ricky Bobby or something. <laughs> you got it. Dear, sweet, fetal John the Baptist. That's right. He knew it too. He leaped in her womb. Right? So, I mean, you could look at this and you could say John the Baptist is proclaiming the coming Messiah even in the womb. And then... I mean, we, I guess we have to assume that Elizabeth hadn't been prior to this moment. All of a sudden, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to see, she too is now in on the secret, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And she starts just, you know, speaking the joy, right? She gets to verse 42 and, and she's talking about Elizabeth and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your woman. <laughs> Not your woman, your <laughs> womb. <laughs> and why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay. So you remember how we've been talking about there are seven oracles, mm -hmm. Luke 1 and 2. Well, here's number three, mm. okay? Verses 42 to 45, Elizabeth is declaring a number of things without any prior knowledge, okay? Number one, she says that Mary is blessed above all women. Just as a side note, blessed are you among women? That was the very verse that was left out, or the very sentence that was left out in an earlier verse, mm -hmm. right? So there's a little bit of a connection there. Anyway, blessed are you above all women, and why? Because she recognizes that she will be giving birth to the Messiah. She, she declares that Mary's baby is also blessed. I mean, obviously, duh, he's a Messiah. And that Mary's baby is her Lord, Elizabeth's Lord, the Lord. And Mary believed what the angel said. Now, if we could, just a little thought experiment for a moment, why might it have been that Zechariah was made deaf and mute? And why might it have been that Mary didn't give any trouble, get any trouble at all? I think maybe it has to do with that. Uh, reserve versus unreserved surrendering to the proclamation given? That is a very good possibility. How about verse 45? Blessed is she who, what? Believed. Yeah. And if we look back, you could get the idea that Zechariah, it, it was interpreted that he wasn't believing. He wasn't really believing, but that Mary did. Now, maybe not, but if you look at those two and you're looking for, well, why was it that Zechariah seemed to get in trouble from the angel and Mary not? Well, Mary is, is very explicitly 
called one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. And Zechariah, you know, it's a little, it's a little iffy, a little sketchy. So maybe that's why the response was different. But anyway, just as John the Baptist, and this is, this is, I don't know, kind of a cool picture. We know that later in the story, John the Baptist is the guy that's paving the way for Jesus. Well, in a way, we sort of see that Elizabeth's oracle is paving the way for Mary to have an oracle of her own. Mm-hmm. And that's what's coming, coming yeah. next. And real quick, before you get into Mary's oracle, I'm, I'm almost certain it's episode one that we did of the Gospels. Um, whenever you had talked about when John said, and to those who uh, believed, receive his name, he gave right to become children of God. You, you yeah. gave an explanation of what that word believed meant, and you, you had a cross-reference of somewhere in the Torah, and you, you, you said it's twofold. You know, there's a trust in uh, God and who he says he is and what he'll do, and then it's a, a faithfulness and a loyalness to orient your life uh, with your actions based on that uh, trust. And I don't know, my mind is just going there whenever it says, you know, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. That sounds like she was a wondrous woman of faith and faithfulness. And I think that the Oracle is going to show that based on her words too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, see the thing that you're talking about right there. When, when your mind starts spinning on some of the other things that we've talked about or other things you've read or whatever, this is exactly the kind of response that we should have to our Bibles. This should just be a day-in, day-out, ongoing revelation of connections and consistency and fulfillments and all this stuff. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So, you just keep on experiencing it and keep on telling us about it All so right. that the people listening can join in, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. So we get to verse 46, and it simply says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, she's only beginning. And I stop here because I just want to point out, you know, we've got big fancy names for things, and this little section is called the Magnificat. And in in our telling of the story, this is number four of the seven oracles contained in Luke chapters one and two, okay? But this opening phrase, I think it kind of takes us back to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. Uh, She was praying in the temple. And the, the parallels, if you were to go back to 1 Samuel 2, read that on your own, I think you'd find a lot of para- parallels between what's going on there and what you see in Mary's response and in the telling of her story. I think there's a bunch of them. And I don't know, we might try to put these in the show notes. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But it'd be good for you to go back and check that out. But she continues, this is the Magnificat. This is the fourth oracle of seven. Here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. In God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So here's Mary. Number one, she's going, she's declaring that her very life, her mortal soul, the nephesh that is within her, magnifies God. And not just that, but that her eternal spirit, it is, it is a ruach, but it's not just, it's her neshama, it's the immortal spirit within her that rejoices in God. She declares that, that God has seen her, even though she, she might be counted among the lowest of the low, and he's looked on her with favor, with grace. And God has turned everything upside down. He's made her now the highest of the high. He's done mighty things for her individually, but of course, 
also, it's going to go beyond that, demonstrating that there simply is none like him. And then she continues, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And in those we can hear Mary has switched the focus. It's no longer on what God has done for her. Now she's talking about the whole world. And even though it's not stated explicitly, it's easy to see in this our first glimpses of the kingdom. Because this kingdom that we're going to see so much more about as we continue, it's an upside down world. The humble are exalted. The proud are made low. The poor and the hungry have an abundance. But the rich, well, they will no want. And he continues, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so we have one final switch in the focus. This time it's to Israel's current and future state. Israel's long-awaited Messiah, he's on the scene. God has proven himself merciful and faithful again. The promises to Abraham are being fulfilled. And this is, uh, okay, great news to Israel, of course. But it's also great news for all the nations. And Samuel, if we go back to those promises made to Abraham, do you remember what, what God said to Abraham about all of the rest of the nations? Yeah, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your lineage. Yeah, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is all coming to pass through this Messiah. Mary is, she's, she's, well, I'd like to say she's singing it out. I don't know how she really did it, but it's an awesome, awesome picture. And again, very similar to the way we ended the, the prior story with Gabriel and Mary and all that. We get to this final verse, and we just get this simple, simple uh, conclusion. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And, uh, and you know, for what it's worth, um, this text would lead us to believe that Mary actually left before Elizabeth gave birth. Not that it matters so much, but, you know, we're, we're trying to get the picture in our head, and it looks as though Mary was there. They have this little reaction. She hangs out for a few months, but she leaves before she actually gives birth. Hmm. Elizabeth gives birth. Yeah. There's a couple things I wanted to say. Um, and I, our listeners may think I'm crazy saying things like this, but... And when, when people study and read through the Gospels, of course, their main focus and their emphasis is on Jesus and his life and, you know, his character, how he interacted with, you know, the people of Israel and what he did, of course. Sure. But sure. I hope that after people hearing this and all of the contextual stuff that they can say, man, Jesus had a really good mother. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, for her to be called you know, most blessed among women, you know, I, I don't think that it's just exclusively because she carried the Messiah because all of that that she just said in that oracle, I mean, she gave praise on an individual level. She gave praise to the nations. And in some ways, you know, the nation of Israel wasn't necessarily at that time living out their call to be a light to the nations. And she was like yeah. praising them as well. And then her own nation yeah. who you know, had just come back from, you know, years and years of exile. I just, man, I hope people are like applauding right now because Mary sounds like an amazing woman. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, this even goes back. Remember uh, when we were first talking about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth? We made the point about how God considered them righteous. Yeah. And and sometimes it's hard for us to hear that because we get this, we get such a black and white mm-hmm. uh, binary on-off kind of view of righteousness or not. They, they were righteous. Mary, I think, is another one you can look at. The very thing that you're saying, her life is something that we should aspire to, that or even something more. We, too, need to pursue righteousness to whatever degree we're we're able to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not a contest. And it's not like, you know, if, if you don't do it good enough, you don't get in. That, that's not the point. It's just about faith and faithfulness. And Mary was demonstrating both. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, um, before we end this episode, I got a little secret for you. Okay. We're going to have a bonus Oh, really? At the end. Yeah. I have a, a friend, Dave Lemieux, uh, and, well, Caitlin, their, their organization. I'll explain more about it later. But they're musicians, super awesome. And he wrote a song. And it is, for all practical purposes, the Magnificat that we just read about from Mary. Uh-huh. And so I got his permission to include it, I'm gonna tack it on to the end of the episode. No way! Yeah, so everybody get, can can join in, listen in, and uh, hopefully you'll find uh, you know a new uh, musician, organization, whatever to to like and and maybe even be involved with. They're they're just super awesome. Okay. So anyway, I just want to get that out there, and and I'll do a little intro before I play the music at the end. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon. me again. Before I play that song, I promised, I just want to let you know, uh, you can find these guys, uh, like if you were on Facebook, you can just search for Blue Gospel Scripts. Or if you're on YouTube, same thing, you can search for Blue Gospel Scripts. Or you can go straight to the source, the heart of the matter, just use your browser, go to bluegospelscripts.org, all one word, all lowercase, no spaces, no other characters, it's just bluegospelscripts.org. And seriously, guys, these are good people. They are worthy of your interest and your support. I hope you enjoy this, and uh, feel free to go check them out.
Come on, Caitlin. Just exactly the way that you 